One of my favorite nights in the life of the church is uh, or are the nights when our shepherding teams come together in this building to shepherd and pray for the church body. And on those nights, the elders and the, and the deacons and the under-shepherds, we, we come together and, and we enjoy a meal and we begin with a brief devotion and, and during that time, either Michael or I will, will pray over the gathering and largely in that time of gathered prayer, we'll pray asking the Lord to hear the prayers that are going to be offered this night. And then those shepherding teams spread out throughout this building and pray over every member of the congregation. Now the beauty of that was brought home to me last month when we gathered together. I was talking with one of the men and his son had asked him, hey daddy, what, what meeting are you going to tonight at the church? And so we told him, tonight I'm going to be together with some people from the church, and we're going to pray for all of the members. And his son said, you're going to pray for every person in the church? And he said, that's right. And he said that he could, he could see in his son's face that beginning to land on him that, that, wow, you're really praying for everyone. And he said, yes, that's what we do. I, I, I bring that up not to exalt us or our leadership, but this is a reminder, that's what the church does, it's what the church is called to do, and it's how the Lord blesses the church. Solomon, in this passage, is praying over Israel. We believe the church is the fulfillment of Old Testament Israel. And much of what Solomon is praying over is, is for the future of the people, and as he prays the prayer of dedication for the temple, he's praying for what will happen in that temple. Bit of a model for what we're going to see today and what we do here in this building. So kids, let me talk to you for a second. I want you to listen for something. We're going to be talking about prayer today. Now, here's what I want you to listen for. How can we be confident when we pray? How can we be confident that, that God's going to hear our prayers and, and respond to our prayers? You listen for that today, all right? Now, let me pray over our time studying this prayer. You bow with me. Father, we, we come now before you and come under your word, asking that, that you would speak to us through your word and that through your word you would shape us in Christ's likeness and that you would shape us in dependence, that you would shape our prayers. Do this we ask for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. I'll tell you as we look at this passage, and you can see this in your outline. It's a bit of a different outline in your bulletins. That outline is hopefully meant to be a resource for you to come back to, to shape our understanding of how we're going to look at this text. We're going to look at 
various portions of this scripture, and I'm going to read those as we go throughout this sermon, and I'm going to start with verses 22 through 24. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept With your servant David, my father, what you declared to him, you spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. This is the word of the Lord. How do you know you can trust someone when they when they say something to you, when they when they make a promise to you? How How do you know you can trust them? Here's the question that we all have wrestled with at some time or another. Well, when you think about those promises, those statements they make, you, what do you do? You consider their track record. Uh, are they a person of integrity? In other words, is there a consistency between their words and their actions? That's a consistency that, that points to something fundamental about their character. Again, are they a person of integrity? Is, if so, then, then there is that consistency of what they have promised and what they have done in the past. And we can look at that and, and have some confidence on what they will do in the future. Our opening, these first few verses that I have just read for you, here, that's essentially what Solomon is saying. Lord God, you are a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. You are a God of steadfast love. Those are words of praise. Those are words of of worship. As, As Solomon opens his prayer, that's what he is doing. He is praising and worshiping the steadfast God. But in addition to to praising and worshiping God, He is making a declaration of trust. Lord God, I trust You in all that I am about to pray because You are a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Now, specifically, the covenant that Solomon speaks of in these opening verses is the covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant. And, And the specifics of that covenant that the Lord God made with David was that there would always be one of his offspring to sit on the throne, to rule his people. And Solomon, as he has taken over the throne from his father, is acknowledging that God has honored that promise, and he experiences it by virtue of him sitting on the throne. But the broader context of scripture the davidic covenant is is one more outworking of the one covenant of grace and that and the content of that one covenant of grace is god's 
continuously reiterated promise where he says, I will be your God. You will be my people. It is the promise that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. And that promise is a gracious promise. God was not obligated to make promises to his creation. So this promise that God makes is gracious by, by virtue of that fact. He didn't have to do it. It's also gracious because it came in response to our sin. God's promising to be our God and he did so in response to our running away from him, to our sinning against him. Now that promise that runs throughout the thread of scripture and that is seen some small part in Solomon sitting on the throne, ultimately secured by the eventual son of David, Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne over all of God's people, over all of the kingdom of God. Our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Our God is a God of steadfast love. And faithfulness, and in ways that Solomon could not have appreciated, he is praising that God and declaring him as the foundation for his future hope and for the future hope of all of the people of Israel. That's how Solomon's prayer opens up. But in addition to, and even in cons- to be consistent with, that declaration of the content of his character, Solomon acknowledges the weightiness of his glory. We pick back up, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 27, Solomon's prayer, he, he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? The occasion for this prayer is the dedication of the temple. The temple was to be God's appointed dwelling place on earth. And yet, Solomon, in his prayer, dedicating the dwelling place of God, acknowledges that this house cannot contain God. Sadly, very shortly in our journey through 1 Kings, we're going to see that Solomon himself was susceptible to the sin of idolatry. We're going to get there soon. I, I said it before. Solomon's life is going to prove to be a, a mess, but here he is somewhere in the ballpark. And here, he's, he's, he's acknowledging the difference between the God of heaven and earth and the idols of the pagan nations around him. Those idols, they reside in temples made of stone. They also, by the way, reside in our hearts. But those idols that reside in, in temples made of stone, you see, they had to be picked up. And they had to be carried into that temple, and they had to be placed there. And they sat there waiting for someone to come pick them up and carry them somewhere else. What an idol is. 
It's impotent. It has no power. It does nothing. Our God does not reside. The temples created by man. They cannot contain Him. Earlier in 1 Kings chapter 8, there is this discussion of the temple and and Solomon acknowledges that he has built a house for the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord represents the entirety of his person, of his character. Simple as for the name of the Lord. His presence was there. Just as his presence is here. But the temple, as glorious as it was, could not contain him. This is the God to whom Solomon prayed, and this is the God to whom we pray. Having acknowledged who this God is, having praised Him and and worshipped Him in prayer, Solomon enters into the content of prayer. And, And essentially in the verses that I'll put before you now, verses 28 through 30, we see the the beginning of the, or did say the meat of the prayer, or the petitions of the prayer. And Solomon says, hear the prayers and receive the sacrifices offered here. Pick back up in verses 28 through 30. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes May be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. The, the temple, Solomon's temple, was a it was a beautiful edifice. It was a, it was a building of, of great beauty. And that beauty was important just as we believe the, the beauty of our place of worship is important because that beauty is a reflection of the beauty of our triune God. The beauty was a reflection of Him, and it was meant to direct the people's hearts and focus toward Him. But that beauty was and is secondary to function. The temple was a place of prayer and sacrifice. That's what was to take place within the temple, and Solomon is acknowledging that and asking the God who, don't miss it, dwells in heaven, that he would hear the prayers and receive the sacrifices that were offered there. It's the way in which Solomon, as the leader of God's people, is petitioning the Lord, hey, Lord, hear and work through these prayers that we're going to offer here in this place. The preamble for Solomon's prayer that day, and for all the future, the future prayers that would be offered from that place. <clears throat> On those nights when we come together here in this building, again, we, we open by asking the Lord to hear 
the prayers that are offered in this place. Not because the place is special, but because it's where we've gathered. And, and we ask, Lord, hear and work through what we will pray to you from this place. And then we, we, we spread out and we offer specific prayers. Well, guess what? Solomon does that here. After asking the Lord to hear, he then goes on to offer a series of seven petitions that will be the petitions that will follow in this passage. And, and in those seven petitions, Solomon speaks of the present and future needs of the people of God. Each of those petitions outlines a specific need, and it includes a plea. That plea is repeated seven times throughout the, this passage is, Lord, hear from heaven. Now, I want to encourage you later to go home and, and read the entirety of this passage. I want to encourage you to read all of these seven petitions. I'm not going to put all of those seven before us now. I'm going to going to put two of them before us from verses 35 through 40. And, and in those two petitions, taken from verse 35 and 40, I'd, I'd like to make some application for our life of prayer. Uh, let, me, let me read verses 35 through 40 now. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know According to all his ways, for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Let me <clears throat> offer two broad points of application for us. The first is that prayer requires the practice of discipline. These seven petitions that that Solomon offers, they cover a multitude of needs. But in those petitions, Solomon adds a little, little clause there. When he says, if they pray. If they pray. Jeremiah 33, 3, the Lord says, call to me and I will answer you. Calling us to call to him. Solomon is saying, if they pray, hopefully, Lord willing, meaning when they pray. When is the Lord works through prayer? And so we, therefore, must be a people 
of prayer. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Now, let's be honest. Some of us neglect that discipline maybe because we're confused by prayer. It just seems so mysterious. Some of us neglect prayer because we get so caught up in the in the things of this world that we don't think about prayer. And some of us neglect prayer because we lack discipline. Solomon anticipates the needs of the people and he prays in advance not to replace their prayer but to ask the Lord to hear when they pray. The same goes for us. The same goes on for us on those nights when we gather together to pray, the same goes for us when we pray a pastoral prayer in the context of worship. Those prayers aren't meant to replace the prayers of the people of God. They are meant to complement them and to prepare the way. Our prayer life requires a practice of discipline. But that practice of discipline has a fundamental complement. The posture of dependence. <clears throat> some of us are actually pretty good at discipline. But the problem is, for some of us who are actually pretty good at discipline, we can become so focused on the discipline itself that we think the power is in the discipline. And not in the God to whom we pray. Prayer is supernatural. Faith is supernatural, and yet some of us live in a practical denial of the supernatural. We oftentimes wouldn't say it, but maybe we think and maybe we act in terms of the practice of religion. The things that we do, and oftentimes in, in focusing on the things that we do, we, we view this faith, this religion as is ultimately about making us better versions of ourselves. This shows up in prayer, in what I believe is a misguided view of prayer. You, you hear it often, maybe you've said it, but <clears throat> sometimes we will hear or say that the, the primary purpose behind prayer is really to shape my heart. Now, I'm not denying the heart-shaping power of prayer. Yes, absolutely. When we come before the Lord God Almighty, He is shaping us. But if we believe that the only purpose and power of prayer is to shape my own heart, we're, we're really doing a version of Eastern meditation. We're saying that that prayer is all about my practice of discipline. Now certainly prayer is a mystery and we, we wonder, we ask the question, how is God both sovereign over all creation and yet still working through the prayers that I offer to Him? It's a mystery. It's a mystery that Scripture speaks to. Ezekiel twenty two thirty tells us, And I, the Lord, sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. In 
Ezekiel, the Lord's saying, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap in prayer, to pray for the people on behalf of the nation of Israel, and there was no one. Ostensibly, what he is saying there is, if there had been one to pray, would not have destroyed Jerusalem. I would not have destroyed my people. I would not have taken them away into exile. I don't understand that, but we see it in the word that God has ordained both the end and the means to that end. Of course, God has ordained our prayer and He works through our prayer to bring about His glorious ends. God delights, delights to work out His good providence through the prayers of His people. It's the means by which He is glorified and by which we are blessed. Know that. And, and see it played out in examples of our dependence. Two examples of our need. The first, we're needy because we sin. Specifically, the, that first petition I put before you in, 30, in verses 35 and 36 speak to that. We need supernatural intervention from the Lord God Almighty because of our sin. On a couple of levels, our sin brings consequences in this life. We you saw it in the text. There's, there's consequences that range from defeat and battle to drought. We experience those consequences in this life due to our sin in the form of destroyed relationships. Relationships are broken because we sin. We sin against God and we sin against one another. We also experience those, those consequences in terms of physical hardship. Not all disease is a result of sin, but some disease is. All of it is the intervening work of the Lord. But ultimately, our sin separates us from God. And nothing, nothing that we could ever do can restore that relationship by virtue of our own work and goodness. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need the forgiveness that He alone brings. It is a forgiveness that He brings, a righteousness that He bestows by His grace alone that we receive through faith alone. And that faith even is a gift from God. So Solomon prays. Because of the, the needs of the people due to sin, and in so doing, he He's modeling prayer for, for the leaders and the elders of God's people that the Lord would hear our humble prayers. Prayers offered in dependence. Dependence due to sin, and, and secondly, dependence due to frailty. If you, if you look at that second petition I put before you in verses 37 through 40, you see what we know to be true. We're dependent because we are finite. When I turned 50, my body started falling apart. I feel way too young for this, but I've got degenerative back disease. Okay, whatever that means, we fall apart. We age. We are frail. We are finite. You know it. We all experience it in different ways. We see it in this text. We're dependent 
children. And we're dependent because our bodies fall apart. We're dependent because we are small in our understanding. We are dependent because we need everything from food to healing. We're children. And so do we believe that our Father will provide for our needs? And how does that belief translate into a life of prayer? Brothers and sisters, we pray because we are needy. We're needy for forgiveness. We're needy for provision through our prayer. Our God is glorified, and we are blessed. Closing this prayer, Solomon acknowledges, he speaks to that purpose. I'm going to very briefly put before you verses 54 through 61. My my Bible calls it Solomon's benediction, his his blessing. I I think it's the so that, it's it's the conclusion behind this prayer. Now, as Solomon finished offering all his, this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant, The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, (coughs) with which, (coughs) let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. May he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people, Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Very briefly, Solomon is saying that this this prayer, the content of this prayer, our continued prayer, is that we might be blessed. Now, that blessing, as he says here in this benediction, is a blessing that comes through God's presence. As we pray a prayer of invocation at the beginning of every service of worship, that God would be present with us. You have friends whom whom you're just better in their presence. The same is true with the Lord our God, but with the Lord our God, it's not just that we're better in His presence. His presence just doesn't make us better. His presence transforms us. The glory of the Lord is a transforming glory, and that's ultimately what Solomon is praying for here, that we would be blessed as we are transformed into Christ-likeness. Solomon prays, trusting in governance, God's covenant promises that he would be true to his word, that he would dwell among us, and that we would be blessed and transformed more and more into his image. But that transformation brings about a second blessing, and that is this, that all the world may hear. The very beginning of, of God's 
blessing and promise to Abraham. He said that the purpose of the people of Israel was that they might be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And we see it here. Solomon's prayer that the world would hear. Are we praying to this end? The heart of the Lord our God. And we see that heart most clearly in the life and ministry of Jesus. Solomon was confident in prayer because the Lord had a history of being true to his word. But even with that, Solomon asked a question in this prayer. And it's a question that we haven't yet dealt with. Way back in verse 27, Solomon said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Maybe it was a rhetorical question meant to emphasize the bigness of God. And yet, in the fullness of time, God answered that question. In the ultimate fulfillment of His promise, Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, there's also another name given for Emmanuel. Matthew 1.21 says his name shall be Jesus, because... He will save His people from their sin. How do we know we can trust God and humbly come before Him? Because He's a promise-making God. Because He is a promise-keeping God. And the pinnacle of His glory, the pinnacle of His promise-keeping is seen on the cross in the person of Jesus who has given us access to the throne of grace and so people of Christ Church, let us be a people who boldly and humbly come to Him. Father, we see here uh, an old prayer, but it's a prayer that we need. I pray that I pray that You would make it the prayer of our hearts, that we might be blessed, and You might be glorified, and the world might hear. In Christ's name, amen.